you guys know, or maybe you don't, that I actually weirdly love Twitter. I love Twitter so much. And my following guest has really mastered Twitter in a way that I never anticipated. I'm very excited about this. We're talking social goods, social capital, policy, economics, and all the things with the following guest who's going to introduce himself right now and share who he is and what he does. it away. Sure. Well, I'm Matt Lane. I am an attorney by day, but I suppose relevant to this conversation, I am a writer and I guess Twitter personality (laughs) talking (laughs) about uh, uh, money, personal finance, uh, policy, politics, government, law, and parenting. How'd you fall into money Twitter? What happened (laughs) <laughs> that one day you're like, because I don't feel like you have a website or anything. Am I crazy in thinking this? I, I did for a while. I got rid of it recently. I went to law school in the United States and I do not come from a wealthy family. So I graduated with $250,000 of debt. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> and then instead of taking the sort of big dollar, big firm job, that was on the table, I decided I wanted to work in public service. I do not regret that decision at all. I love the work, but at some point I decided that with the giant debt and the small paycheck, it was time to learn about money. So I dove in, taught myself everything I could find. Uh, I'm kind of an obsessive nerd. I just went overboard and eventually took that and a few other subjects that I had studied obsessively as well, um, and made a blog. So that was uh, money, uh, money, psychology, philosophy, and productivity. Um, Jumbled those all together, blogged for a while. Um, I was always much better known for my my Twitter presence than my actual long form writing. When the pandemic hit, and I did not have so much time to write, I did not feel bad about uh, walking away from the blog and just keeping Twitter going. I had no idea that that was your backstory. So this is personal, a lot of your stances on policy. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was a, a policy nerd long before I was a finance nerd. <laughs> um, I actually, my first blog way back in law school, which was totally anonymous, <laughs> um, but my first blog was was basically taking complex policy ideas and trying to explain them in ways that you know normal people could could parse and, and understand and you know give them a better understanding of, of how to interact with the the sort of nonsense that uh, politicians are spouting on TV. If you had a well actually I'm going to ask it this way do you have a financial philosophy and what is it? I think so probably two answers, one for dealing with money and one for teaching money. But I think in, in dealing with money, the place I differ from most people in the personal finance community is I think we really need to be thinking about money 
on two tracks, right? There's one track, which is how do I succeed within the current system, right? That's, you know, 95% of the personal finance advice out there, you know, how to earn more, how to spend less, how to invest, you know, start a business, all of those normal things. How do you build your personal success? How do you build stability for your family and your community and all of that sort of on one track? But I think at the same time, we should be thinking about how do I, how do I work to make this system more fair? How do I work to make success more accessible to a wider range of people? And I think that's something that, you know, a lot of people try to push to the side. But once you're, especially once you're successful, that's something we really need to be thinking about. And especially for someone like me, right? If you are someone that benefits from the system, I am a cishet married white man with a high income, right? The system is built for me. (laughs) And that's something that folks, especially folks like me, especially folks that have been able to achieve success, we really need to be able to turn that around and say, how can we make this accessible to more people? In saying that, I I was thinking, um, there's someone out there listening to the show who's wondering, why would that benefit me to think in this way? So could you explain why that is? I, I always try to frame this in a few different ways, ideas like this, because my instinct is always sort of, you know, what is my obligation to society and sort of what is the moral right thing to do? And I think the more you look at policy in the United States, especially the more you look at the way systems are set up, it becomes very clear that there are some people that are aided by the system and there are some people that are being left out. And that's, you know, that's wrong. We should work to fix that. I think from the perspective of how can this help you personally, like how can, you know, helping other people help me? I think one, there is a lot of research on the happiness benefits that you get from helping other people. I think there's also the, you know, there's an argument that in making society more fair, you are uh, improving things for everyone. You're improving things for uh, future generations, your kids, you're improving things for, you know, society writ large, which then comes back and helps you. If you're improving, you know, if you are closing the racial wealth gap, you're going to sell more houses, you're going to build the economy, you're going to have more people with more people with university degrees, you're going to, you know, make a better world that you will still get to live in, and that your children and grandchildren will get to live in. Um, And so this really does all come back to help uh, you and your family in the end, in addition to just being the right thing to do. There is a lot of data around this talking point that you've just shared. I'm wondering in your conversations with people who aren't sold on this idea of social good and social capital, what is it that they're afraid of? Like, what do you speculate is the resistance separate from, quite honestly, racism? Outside of racism, why do you think in the U.S. we get so many people who just will say no to policy that will actually impact them in a positive way. Why won't, why can't they see it? I've had a lot of conversations. I did when I was uh, still writing on the blog, I had a bunch, a series where I would basically 
dig for information with people who disagreed with me, basically saying, prefacing, prefacing it by saying, you know, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to challenge you. I want to hear what you think. And I'm going to ask some follow-up questions to maybe try to understand it better. But, you know, I, I want to understand you. Um, and I think a lot of it, at least in the personal finance community, especially around, you know, privilege and sort of acknowledging that the system is is easier on men. It's better for men. It benefits men. It benefits white folks. A lot of it really has to do with people don't want to say other people have it harder than me, right? Not, not quite like that, right? But it's, it's very much like if I am accepting that my path was easier because I'm white, because I'm a man, um, because I'm straight, like whatever these factors are that, you know, you are not facing obstacles that other people are facing. It seemed like a lot of people really felt that acknowledging those truths would detract from their achievements, Mm. right? So it's saying, if it's true that things are easier for white men, then what I've achieved is not really, it's not really that great of an achievement, right? Like it's, it's, it feels like, it feels like losing that sort of sense of self, that sense of accomplishment of, okay, I beat the odds. I did this. um, I worked hard and people are really sensitive to that. And in, in writing of this, I tried to say, you know, it's not saying that your life is easy. It's saying that you are, you know, other people face challenges that you don't. But I think that is a big hurdle as people feel attacked as soon as you're saying it's easier for you. And I wonder if not only do they feel attacked, but maybe subconsciously they're like, oh shit, I'm complicit in, in not taking away the roadblocks that are impacting other people. I would not be surprised at all. I mean, that's obviously not something that people were, were telling me in conversation. Um, but I, I think, you know, it would make a lot of sense for people to, you know, say, I've been living in the system for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and I have done nothing up until now to change it. Would acknowledging these problems now mean that I've been a terrible person for the last 50 years? Mm. So Matt, you're like the unspoken folk hero of the Twitter fin set. <laughs> I almost, oh my God, I just had an image of you kind of in an 80s persona with your raising your fist with a boom box. And I don't know why my mind went there, but I, I think it's awesome. You started doing a thing on Twitter that I freaking love. And this was why I reached out to you. I was like, this is awesome. Finally, someone's going to say something and have us have fun, you know, around this project that you're doing. So you started doing brackets around financial bad takes. I would love to hear why the hell this happened. Were you just bored during COVID? Like what (laughs) happened for you to do this with the kids knocking around? I I know you were busy. Just share what the financial bad takes brackets are and just the, the genesis of one of my favorite financial social media projects, if you will, that I've ever seen. Well, I appreciate the kind words. I love it. Um, the tournament is uh, like a March Madness style bracket 
where the winner is determined by Twitter polls. Um, the winner of each matchup is determined by Twitter polls and the competitors are all bad takes from the personal finance community. I think where you said, you know, finally someone's saying something, I think this is uh, probably a common thing in the personal finance space, but I had been uh, in a couple of different DM chains or text chains, you know, occasionally sending bad takes back and forth and saying, you know, can you believe this guy? And then leading to this particular uh, event, I have a text chain that is some high school friends who are not at all into personal finance, but have kind of been sucked into the personal finance Twitter sphere through me. <laughs> and so we we've had, you know, would send bad takes back and forth some screenshots of like, you know, outrageous things people said. And there was one in December, 2020 that we really got stuck on. It was, this guy said something to the effect of life without children is so easy that it is meaningless. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, and like, everyone on this text chain, like all of these people, we all have kids and we were all like, what the hell is this? Whoa. And, and then, you know, he was doubling down and we'd send each other updates and like, you know, someone saying, you know, we stopped trying after my wife had three miscarriages and he'd be like, you know, should have kept trying and like just horrible stuff. And so that sort of back and forth, like that was in my head as I'm scrolling Twitter and seeing everyone posting their sort of end of year, end of year lists and rankings and the best whatevers of 2020. And I kind of jokingly tweeted out, now accepting nominations for the worst personal finance take of 2020. Uh, <laughs> and 2020 was epic. <laughs> 2020 was, wow, uh, off the charts. <laughs> um, and, and, and in ways that were really memorable, like the replies filled up really quickly of people that just off the top of their head were saying bad takes that they remembered, you know, from we, we had COVID, we had uh, people talking about how you need to invest your stimulus checks. We had people talking about uh, folks who were on unemployment because of shutdowns. We had folks talking about the uh, George Floyd protests and Black Lives Matter. And we had just so much nonsense that the the replies filled up really quickly and there were a lot of sort of conversations that were sparked there you know someone would say i asked for nominations and someone would say the virgin 10 right (laughs) and someone else would say well what's that and then you get the explanation and someone you know is saying oh that reminds me of this other thing that someone said and it just it kind of built and built until I said to my friends on the text chain, hey, we've got so many that I could, you know, probably do a March Madness bracket. Uh, and they were like, yeah, do that. Like, seriously, just do that. Oh my um, God. So I, I took the, the takes from the replies. I went through uh, some of my DMs and that, that text chain for, for screenshots, uh, put it all together, made some brackets, put them into categories and made the first bad takes tournament. Were you surprised by the enthusiasm around the bad takes tournament I was I really was on a few levels right I was surprised by the joy that it seemed to bring to a lot of people Um, (laughs) like people got really into it 
and seemed really excited about it. Like even on the more recent ones, um, I had a bunch of people that were saying, you know, this has been a really hard week, but we get the quarterly bad takes tournament now. And I didn't really foresee that level of, of joy from something like this. I was surprised by the conversations that it, that it sparked. Um, I think sometimes really productive conversations. Uh, there was one that I recall from the, the first tournament where there was a conversation amongst a group of folks on Twitter that I disagree with on pretty much everything all the time, some of whom had takes that were actually in the tournament. And there was a, they were having a discussion on, okay, well, why do people think that these opinions we said are so bad? Oh, wow. Um, and trying to like understand that. And I, I found that kind of uplifting and, and productive. And I think that the most surprising thing for me to see was that this, it seems like this has really empowered people to call out bad takes publicly more than they had been doing before. Right. I think this was very much a, a, a share with your friends thing and like keep quiet. And this kind of just made it a public thing. Like there are so many people that are with you. Everyone is sick of these terrible takes. Um, and, and I'm seeing more people that are actually calling it out when it happens uh, and saying, you know, this is what you're saying is a problem. Um, here's why this is wrong. And, and kind of actually confronting it as it, as it comes up and, and pushing the, the community in a, a healthier way and in a more empathetic direction. One of the things that's really interesting about the personal finance space is I feel like it's typically very boring depending on how people approach talking about money. And there are lots of us out there who have positioned ourselves as influencers, if you will. But the bottom line is with money, it's like, don't spend too much. Don't, you know, save, invest, don't get into debt. Like on the, on the basic level, it's all the same thing, but then the nuances are where the magic happens or where hell resides, right. For people. <laughs> yeah. And what I like about the bad financial takes bracket is you've injected a level of enthusiasm and curiosity and, and conversation that gets lost in most people's content, you know, when they're trying to do SEO driven content and let's teach people skills. And I'm like, money is about power sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like it is, mm -hmm. I don't understand mm -hmm. how something so hot gets so boring with so many people's platforms. I don't, I literally don't understand it. And you've literally created something so fun and whimsical and interesting. And I'm like, why can't everyone's platform or at least half of your platforms be like this? This is what like money is power. And right now we have the eviction moratorium right now has been extended, I think, for possibly the last time. Mm -hmm. And the conversations that I've seen on people's platforms around being a landlord or being a, a person who's in the position of really needing that extension. And I feel like I haven't seen conversations that really reflect the, the anger on both sides or the passion 
about why the eviction moratorium is important for some people and uh, why for landlords, this is, this is hell, you know, and why isn't it that we haven't hired all of these people who, who are directly impacted to help facilitate doling out the funds. Like it's, it's, there's a lot of really incomplete conversations is my point. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I participate, because I'm an active participant in these brackets, I'm looking forward to the next set. I feel like the energy around the conversations about money, you've, you've hit on it. I think that's why they're so impactful and they're so fun and they make a difference because you've hit on something, which is uh, I'm not reluctant to have conversations, but I think it's easier to have conversations about these topics in a space that's funny and without feeling like you're going to be judged because you're having the same opinion that everyone's kind of kept to themselves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When I switched to the the quarterly tournaments, right, because I I could actually catch things as they were happening instead of just what people remembered at the end of the year. I started doing screenshots so that you could see the full the full opinion, and I made the decision to cut off the identifying information. Um, either just cut the the Twitter handle off of the the screenshot, or if I can't do that, then to to redact it because I do think that it is more helpful to to the conversation when you're not there's not really a person identified on the other side that you're saying okay this person we're judging this person mm-hmm. um, you know we are we are in a fight with this person um it's it's much it's much more like here are these opinions let's talk about this this is you know we're disconnected from you know the personal fights that that twitter kind of often devolves into um so i i have been trying to find to make a way to uh to have those conversations be, you know, productive rather than just confrontational and, and bitter. So I'm I'm glad to hear that you uh, that you think those those conversations are are happening and are are helpful. I absolutely do. And one of the things I've I've thought about when these bad financial takes come up, it's I wonder what's happening in that person's financial life, like why they think the way they do. The reason why I say it that way is. I've noticed in the personal finance space, especially as people transition into the wealth building stage of their journey. So say, for example, like right now I'm in, I'm now transitioning into the wealth building stage of my financial journey. And because I've cleaned up such a big mess, it's now I, I'm aggressively growing income investments and things like that. One of the things that I've noticed in that transition, just online looking at people's lives is it becomes very easy for people to forget where they started from and be very judgmental, right? Mm-hmm. So Ave Day Amzi Ray, I'm not going to say it was <laughs> Ave Day Amzi Ray is a really good example. I'm speaking pig Latin for you, like young millennials and Gen Z. Okay. I find him to be an interesting case study of a person who's really angry at people making similar mistakes that he made. Like, why do you think people get angry with other people who make financial mistakes? And then that anger translates into these bad takes that we see online. I mean, I could go on full rants about, uh, about our, our buddy at the, <laughs> the total money makeover man. And I have before um, those, you know, 
search my name and, and his on Twitter and you'll find plenty of those. <laughs> but I think, um, I really think it, it is, you know, like you said, it's, it's kind of, it's forgetting where you came from, but I think it's also what I have found is that the vast majority of bad takes that end up in this tournament stem from a lack of empathy, right? That's the base level. It's, it's, it's very much, you know, I am where I am and this is what worked for me. And so it should work for you. And why aren't you doing what I'm telling you? Right. It's, it's inability to see the struggles that other people have or an unwillingness to see those struggles an unwillingness to see the, um, the extra hurdles that other people face, people that are starting in a different place, or even people that are just uh, years behind where you are at this point. It's really, it strikes me as just a complete lack of, of empathy that is really driving all of this. Uh, and is, is, I mean, that's a real problem in, in, our, in our community. How do you foster community or how do you foster empathy in financial spaces? I think there's a, there's a couple ways. Um, and I've, I've tried, I've tried both, right. I think you can kind of work with people and talk through, talk through issues and, and try to get them to understand sort of where they are making these missteps. Right. And you can say, you know, here's, here's why that doesn't work. Here's why that's wrong. Um, and I think that is a productive way to bring some people over and help, you know, those people have more empathy. I think there is also, you know, a line where these people aren't coming back, right? So you need to close them out of your space. I do not have the power to cancel people. Um, right. But I, that's like the idea, right? Is if you want a, if you want a healthy and empathetic and welcoming community, sometimes you need to exclude people that cannot do that. Um, and you need to exclude them from the community and kind of push them to to the edges there. Whoa, you have me thinking. Uh, I I will say that I am very careful about who is in my space. One, because I want to make sure that I don't accidentally start taking on these beliefs, right? I don't want to subconsciously victim shame or shame other people because they're making financial decisions or they're in a financial space that other people would say, well, it's your fault. I'm like, it might be their fault. It might not be, but who am I? I'm not paying their mortgage or their rent. It's not right for me to judge who they are and what they do, especially if I'm not paying their, their bills. Mm -hmm. And I feel like personal finance influencers really oftentimes forget that we are in this space because we want to help people. I think most of us, but in helping other people, sometimes we have to also take a step back and people are either in the position to make changes or they're not. And for me, it took a long time to better my finances took a long time and it's going to be a lifelong process in terms of the mindset piece, especially when I'm looking at policy and things that could impact, could have impacted me and helped me like public policy, like student loans for you and I, I lived in Europe. Europeans don't have student loan debt the way we do. It just, it doesn't occur because policy is in place set up so that people don't go into debt to go to school. Mm -hmm. And 
what could have happened with that 250 grand that you spent to go to school if if you hadn't had to pay that? Where could your mm-hmm. money have gone to, like investing or helping others or infrastructure? Who knows what you could have done with that money? But yeah. we'll never know, right? Yeah, yeah. And actually not to go on a tangent, um, but I guess kind of to go on a tangent. Go on a tangent. <laughs> um, I, I had my uh, first dose of, of Twitter fame was a tweet about my student loans. It was something uh, something like, you know, I graduated law school six years ago with $250,000 of loans, but through years of hard work and tens of thousands of dollars of payments, I can now say I owe 315000 Oh, my um, Lord. And <laughs> And that, that went viral. And it was really interesting because on Twitter, I got slammed by person after person after person who just, everyone was just leaning on, this guy's an idiot. What is wrong with you? How could you be so dumb? What, like, why would you do that? And then screenshots of the tweet went to the front page of Reddit a couple times. Wow. Um, and on Reddit, which was a higher European, a higher percentage of Europeans, apparently, the replies were really, you know, how could America let this happen to this guy? Right. <laughs> right. Instead of you're an idiot, it was your country's messed up. And it, right. it really is. It was really fascinating to see that the, that like very divergent set of, of replies based on, you know, the policy that you are used to. I want to ask you, and, and you do not have to answer this, but you have these student loans in your life. Are you, what, what are you thinking about in terms of, is there a way to, to pay them down? Is there a, a program that you can become a part of, or, or is this one of those things where you're like, you know, they're here. They're like a family member now. What if they're not leaving? <laughs> so, yeah. what is daycare it? for one kid, daycare for the other kid, loan payment, mortgage? I know, I know. So, what, what is it? What I don't even know how to even ask this question. You're in the personal finance space. You're a lawyer. You are in a different space than what what excuse me you could be in. Even if, if you're working in a lucrative space right now, how are you deciding to tackle that student loan debt? And, and how does it impact the conversations that you're, you're facilitating online? Because I, I follow you and I respond and I, and I, and I know that you're, you are reacting from a personal standpoint because you're Im- impacted by a lot of uh, policy and things that are happening. So in my very long-winded and uh, confusing way, I'm trying to ask, what do you think about those loans and what's happened? And I'm with you. I think social policy is really where you've been ill-served, as have I and many, many millions of other people out there. My view at this point is very much, I'm doing fine uh, and things are things are working out for me. I'm in the public service loan forgiveness program, uh, I've been, you know, putting in my time at those jobs. I've got two years before that forgiveness kicks in. There are high payments when they're happening right now. It's the loan freeze is uh, is still in place for another few months, but I'm in a place where I can afford those those high payments. 
um, and just kind of stick it out for my 10 years. I think my personal view is very much, there are so many people that went through either what I went through or, you know, different types of similar policy, policy rooted problems that they could have avoided if we made better choices in our government and didn't come out the other, the other side as lucky as I did. I'm doing work that I, uh, that I like to do. I'm doing work that is meaningful to me and, you know, I'm building wealth significantly slower than I, I otherwise could have, but I'm still building wealth and at a relatively high clip, given that since I am a lawyer, I did like, I'm in the public sector, but I've climbed the, the pay scale pretty quickly. My view is very much policy is super important and it's not necessarily to help me, right? I'm advocating for the loan forgiveness, the mass loan forgiveness programs that people are pitching, Joe Biden's 10,000, Elizabeth Warren's 50,000. Um, I think that's something, especially the 50,000, like that's something we really should be doing. And we should be cutting down on the costs of higher education and making those more accessible. But also if you wipe out that $50,000 of student loan debt, it means literally nothing to me. My balance is way too high for that to matter. Um, and I'm on my forgiveness track anyway, so it, it doesn't impact me at all, but I still think it's super important and is something that we should all be fighting for. What is the number one lesson that you've learned from doing this fun project that came out of nowhere about money and people, actually? I think, so I can give you the uh, the... the negative view and then the the positive view of the same, the same, uh, the same takeaway, I guess, is it was surprising to see how, how many bad takes are really just a lack of empathy, right? It's if I can do it, anyone can. It's ignoring that, you know, the, the, the challenges that a white man faces are going to be different than the challenges that a black woman faces. The challenges that an upper middle class person uh, faces are going to be very different from the challenges that, you know, a, a minimum wage worker is going to face. And that, that lack of empathy really is pervasive and is really flowing down into a lot of harmful advice. Um, I think the positive takeaway is how much people rallied around this, this, I guess, activity and how many conversations it started about trying to be better and trying to push people in a better direction and calling out people that are saying harmful things and, and kind of poisoning the well in the community. Um, so, you know, I, I think it was surprising to me how many, how much of our problem is, is this one identifiable source, really. I mean, you've got your standard, you know, there are occasional just totally bonkers takes, right? <laughs> Bitcoin's going to end all wars, right? Like those, those are off on their own. That's their its own category. <laughs> but there, there are so many that are just, it really is just not being open to seeing other perspectives. Um, and then, you know, the positive takeaway is, is how many people are willing to kind of push and try to fix that. What are some of the positive things that you've seen coming out of the personal finance 
since you've started like being in that space? I think so. I've been, I've been doing this for, I guess, six years now, five or six years. Um, and at least from the perspective of when I started, I didn't see people really talking about politics and policy. It really was just straight down the middle, earn more, spend less, invest in index funds, right? Here's, you know, here's how to build a business. And I think people were really staying away from, from those, those sort of more nuanced conversations. And I think that over the years that has become much less of a third rail and much more something that people are open to talking about and, and are having those tough conversations and pushing others into, into having those conversations as well. What are your three favorite bad takes and uh, why? And we're wrapping up the conversation, but what are, your, what are three that really stand out to you from the last couple of rounds? Oh boy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It was the gift that kept on giving too. So I feel like this is kind of a difficult question. Yeah. I, I am, I kind of want to like pull up the (laughs) the, The the last few and go through again. (laughs) I think, um, I think, so there were some, there were a a bunch, I think in the last round, at least, and maybe you have a, (laughs) maybe you have a thought on this. It felt like, (laughs) it felt like the last round, um, the, the second quarter was a lot of the poor shaming takes, mm. which I feel are, those are sort of the ones that are important to discuss, to, you know, make the community healthier, but it also is, is kind of, you know, eating your vegetables, right? It's not the fun part. Um, I think the, the first quarter and the, the 2020 had a lot more of the, the sort of just bonkers off the wall takes. Um, I think last quarter we had the one where someone was saying that uh, homeless people begging in New York City make 75k a year. Oh my god is that still going around that (laughs) idea? Oh my god. Um, And I think the the one that uh, the one that won last quarter if I recall was the um, if you are or no, this was the first quarter. If you're a, if you're a woman who started a successful business and your husband uh, lost his job, oh god, I remember. You that. should step down and give him the company. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving him shit, and I'm not even married yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like one. Your husband has not built a successful company. He's gonna run that into the ground. <laughs> Like, let's ignore the, ignore the sexism for a second and talk about how that's a terrible financial decision. I think the, those sort of the off the wall takes are kind of the, the more, the more entertaining ones, at least for me. What's next? What's next? What's next? (laughs) Um, The broad question. (laughs) Oh, that's, uh, that's an existential crisis waiting to happen. Um, (laughs) No, I I think for the, for the bad takes, we're just kind of plugging along. Um, you know, I'm, I've, I've got it kind of on a, a good system. Uh, we've got the quarterly tournaments that'll feed into the annual. Um, for me personally, I think outside of my day job, I've been making some more time to write again, although I've been writing more fiction. Um, so, you know, I think that will, uh, I will make that public at some point more so than I have. I'm working on a really exciting podcast project. I don't know if I can announce that because I have not talked to my 
co-creators about going public on that, but I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, it's very, I'm having a lot of fun with that. And I think it's, it's going to be really exciting when we can actually go live with that. Yeah. I'm working on a bunch of, of really just kind of random stuff. <laughs> I think that sounds fantastic. And for those people who aren't following you right now, how can they find you on Twitter? On Twitter, I am Matt Lane Writes, M-A-T-T-L-A-N-E-W-R-I-T-E-S. Uh, so, you know, come, uh, come check in and uh, buckle in. And I will absolutely be sharing uh, your link as well in the show notes. Matt, thank you so much for this conversation. I just love this project. I really appreciate your empathetic approach to money. I also had had noticed that lack of empathy for years and was really tired of it, uh, to be honest. It's just really tired of it. And I feel like if things were so simple, wouldn't people choose the make the choices to make their lives? If everything's so simple, why wouldn't people just do the thing? And I think that's the question to ask who lack empathy. Common sense would tell me that if it was easy, I would do the easy thing. And I just was getting frustrated. So I'm, I'm glad that you've created a fun financial space that creates conversation. It feels like that has been something that's been lacking in the space for a while as well. So we appreciate what you're doing. And it, it may have felt random in the beginning, but it does have a purpose and, and, and it's important. And I wanted to make sure you knew that. Well, thank you for the kind words and the, the fun conversations. This was, uh, this was a good time. 